Losing spending power due to inflation is never a good thing. When you're on a fixed income, it can be devastating. On today's show, we're gonna offer a couple ways to handle inflation in retirement and very special guest, attorney Brian Less, to break down the basics of estate planning right after. And now, Wealth Health Radio with Joe Murphy. Welcome in, everyone. Wealth Health Radio is the program. Joe Murphy is here. He is a fiduciary independent uh, with Murphy Wealth Management. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall, and uh, this is going to be a good show. Joe, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Steve. Excited to have Brian on the on the line here with us in the studio. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're going to be talking estate planning a little later in the show. But obviously, Steve, with the rising prices in that we're all paying for, for our goods and services that make our life run, it's on everyone's mind. So I wanted to definitely take a little time and talk about inflation, CPI, the Fed, and just do a quick overview on what's going on and, you know, how people people can can attack it and make sure it doesn't have a dramatic impact on their life right now. Because like all things in life, Steve, it's a cycle. You sure. know, it's a period of time and we have to do what we can to get through it. But it's not the be all end all. It's not the end of all things. It's just something that we have to strategize and paying attention to this segment can help you well on your way. I would agree. So, you know, you're talking inflation, CPI, interest rates. Those are all things. And, and you know, they we hear those words so much. And, and again, I think some of it just sort of flows in and out and and it does, you don't really understand the impact of what that can be. Um, well, it, you know, certainly challenging um, how those in, those numbers do impact us. Uh, Fox Business host Charles Payne uh, echoed this sentiment on the show last week. Here's what he had to say. Over the weekend, the Wall Street Journal marveled at how resilient the economy has been. Think about this, because here's the rub. When 39% of folks say take a survey and say they have less than $1,000 in savings, to me, that's the number the Fed should be talking about. Right. <laughs> what do you think, Joe? A little scary with uh, with the savings level in our country right oh now. Gosh, I think, yeah. yeah, a lot of the stimmies, the stimulus, and you know, just that quantitative easing period that we had in this country during COVID, as the government was really trying to stimulate everything. People got used to it. You know, people got used to it, and the spending level stayed the same. And unfortunately, when everything started drying up, we started seeing the credit card balances start driving skyward. Um, it's it's an interesting time economically, and we all have to be very, very careful because inflation is a stubborn beast. It's not something that is just immediately going to evaporate. But this Fed, you know, as, as Mr. Payne was saying on his show, um, the Fed is like basically walking a tightrope juggling fire right now. This is not an easy job. And, you know, it's real simple for us to look in hindsight, you know, it's 2020. But when you look back with the quantitative easing and what they were looking at to try and really stimulate this economy, most analysts look back at it now and say, hey, you know what? They should have taken the foot off the gas much earlier. They started, they should have raised interest rates much sooner than they did, or we wouldn't be in this position. Now we're on the opposite or the flip side of that. You know, did they tighten too much? You know, the tightening and the rising interest rates, remember, we raised, they wrote, they raised interest rates the fastest in history you know, all the way up 550 basis points, the fastest in history into the highest debt construct ever. Um, lag effects from these interest rate hikes, Steve, they don't happen immediately. It's usually six to 12 months after that hike. So now we're starting to see coming into September, October, that historical rate lag hit. When is this economy going to be taking a hit? That's the big question. But are we seeing indicators out there like Mr. Payne was talking about? 
um, payroll revisions. I think that's a big one, Steve. We, we see the job reports come out and they're like gangbusters and the market responds. And then the next quarter we get a revision where it's, you know, cut by 30%. Oh, that wasn't the real number. Sorry. Right. Um, and that's, that's scary to me. That's an indicator that shows that, you know, what we're reporting isn't true. And I think a lot of the economic indicators that we're looking at present day right now, Steve, um, they're not very accurate because they're comparing year over year. And remember, all that funny money during COVID is what they're comparing it to. I think a more adequate comparison would be two to three years ago. It's just, it's you could drive a Mac, a Mac truck through some of these gaps. You oh, know, the yeah. New York Fed's out there saying, you know, the, the or I'm sorry, the St. Louis Fed was saying, you know, the GDP this quarter is going to be negative 0.26. And the Atlanta Fed during the same period is saying, no, 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 positive 5.6%. <laughs> these statistics are all over the place and that's why we want you know our clients our listeners to be cautious during periods like this we're not saying go into a shell and don't do anything but be careful with your budget be careful with inflation you know understand what you're spending and i think we can go through a couple quick things here Steve, yeah, sure. to really help people dial it in and make sure those dollars stay in their pocket and don't get eaten up by that ugly inflation beast 800-930-5905 is the number to call folks if you want to get a head start so we do have some things that we're going to put out for you and uh, i like this with the the economy, what it is, we've got to realize our spending patterns. And I think if we look, you know, over a period of what, three or four months of our spending, there's going to be some obvious things that jump up. Yeah. And you know what? We are creatures of habit for sure. And our spending is no different. You know, we like to do the same things over and over again. So it's really easy to identify trends in our spending patterns. You know, where do you spend your money? That all starts with an analysis. And it doesn't have to be this complex software thing where you got to dig down and crunch all these numbers. You can simply print out three months of bank statements, credit card statements, see where you're spending. You know, when are your bills due? How is your discretionary versus your essential? Break those two down, make a distinction between what your life costs you, AKA your essential expenses versus your fun money, the discretionary, going out to eat, going on vacations. You know, where are you gonna be able to make cuts? Most likely, unfortunately, it's on the discretionary side. And oh, that's the money that people love to spend. Sure. But that's really where you have to buckle down and say, I need to make it through a, a long time period here. I don't want to burn through my cash. When you got to make a cut, you got to make a cut, but you have to be able to identify it first. But I think to that end, if you create a budget and you have it in writing and you can see it and it becomes very obvious, at least it did to me, uh, of what can be cut. It's like, I don't need to spend that. Right. I am. I am so happy to hear that you have a budget, Steve. That makes you, <laughs> if you could see me, Brian can see me. I'm smiling. I'm smiling ear to ear right now. Um, everyone should everyone should do some type of budgeting. You know, you should know where your dollars are going to. Um, and it doesn't have to be complex. Again, you know, it can be very, very simple. And if you need help with a budget or you need help with that type of planning, give us a call. We can help you organize it. We can help you understand what's what um, and make sure that you understand point A. Really hard to get to point B where you want to get to if you don't know where you're starting from. And that budget can give you that information so you know where you are. And that budget will also allow you to either go and get that new refrigerator or not, right? <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. got to push back some of those major expenses right now. That's, things are a little tight. 
Yeah, as tough as that can be, sometimes you have to learn that word and it's a two letter word and it's no, you know, I can't do this right now. It doesn't mean you're never going to do it, but sometimes the finances just don't make much sense. So you have to pull back on big expenses, especially going into a potential recessionary environment where, you know, we're looking at jobs, we're looking at p potential layoffs. I know I saw the bank industry is is starting to lay off. Mm -hmm. Goldman Sachs, I saw starting to lay off. And, you know, we're starting to see the indicators of a recession. Be prepared. It doesn't mean panic, it just means be prepared, know where you are, start looking at this stuff. And if you're not sure where to start, we can help you get to point A. Sure. Well, and again, it starts with that call, folks, 800-930-5905. Um, when we talk about draw on cash as a strategy, what does that mean? What are we talking about here? Well, you don't want to, especially if you have market holdings. So if you have equities or bonds that you're holding on to, they're time sensitive, which means, you know, this might not be the right time to sell to generate cash and, and, and you know, get out of a position. So having cash on the sidelines can help protect your investments. Um, we always recommend that all our clients have what's called an emergency account mm -hmm. where you have cash on hand that you can access liquid immediately to pay for expenses. So you're not forced to sell positions in your portfolio to generate that cash to cover whatever expense that you're facing. So having that emergency fund is one step number one. You need to make sure that you have that. Again, critical component of a financial plan is making sure that you have that emergency and that go-to of cash so you're not forced to make decisions that you wouldn't normally make. 800-930-5905. And we talk about this a lot, Joe, in terms of getting ready for retirement. We have to think about, are, are we going to downsize? Are we going to relocate? Um, and just logistically, from a relocation standpoint, that can be confusing. And then downsizing, well, what do we do? How do we, is, is that a conversation that you have with folks? It is. It's absolutely a conversation that we have. And, you know, sometimes maybe, you know, the kids are off to, to school or they're off on their own life or, you know, maybe, you know, the 5,000 square foot house is just a little bit too much or you want to be closer to the grandkids or whatever the reason are. It doesn't matter, but it is a big proposition, you know, selling your house, looking at a new place, especially in this environment. It's not easy. There's not a lot of inventory out there Steve, mm -hmm. to choose from. Exactly. Um, so it can be a complex issue, but it can be a lifesaver. If you can free up that cash flow and put it to, to work on your expenses and an income stream, rather than maybe a home that you're not using or it's not in the right location, this is when you wanna tackle that. But knowing again, where you are, helps you address these things that can really help make sure that you can make that full retirement, whether it's 20, 30, 40 years, you gotta put the pieces in place now to make sure that you can make it long-term. Folks, if that sounds like something that's right for you, now is the time. Let Give Joe a call and, and come on in. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And you know my favorite saying by now, if you want something you've never had, you got to do some things you've never done. And that starts with a phone call to this fiduciary financial advisor that's in your ear right now. Next 10 callers, we are going to do a portfolio analysis. We're going to do a tax analysis. Cash flow is king. What is the difference between your essential and discretionary expenses? We can help you break all that down. This is your opportunity to get to the plate. You're at bat to start your retirement plan with a fiduciary advisor. Steve, give our listeners that magic number. We're going to take 10 this week. Very special offer. Give them that number and we'll get to work. You got it, Joe. 800-930-5905. It's a great opportunity for you to review your individual circumstances. There's no cost. There's no obligation. You'll find out how much risk you're taking. Really good to know. What about red flags that could be a potential problem for you down the line? 
Do you really know how much you're paying in fees or commissions? Well, Joe can help find out for you. How about potential tax liabilities? And of course, that lifetime retirement income plan that includes maximizing your Social Security benefit. If you want to take advantage of this complimentary review, just give us a call. 800-930-5905. That's 800-930-5905. When we come back, attorney Brian Les, special guest on Wealth Health Radio, talking about estate planning basics. You don't want to miss this right after this. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall, and uh, this is Wealth Health Radio. Joe Murphy's here. Joe is uh, fiduciary Murphy Wealth Management, and joining us now is attorney Brian Less. As we get closer to retirement, you got to have that estate plan, and I look forward to this, uh, Joe and Brian, uh, to just, it's just good to get that refresher. I think so. So Brian is a Brian is a, a good friend to me and our firm, and just a heck of attorney. It's it's awesome to have him on the on the show. His experience is invaluable. And what I wanted to do today is bring Brian on to talk some basics on estate planning. Um, you know, what is a will? What is a trust? What is probate? I think a lot of people want answers to those questions. You know, where do you start? understanding legacy and wealth transfer. They all seem like complex terms out in the sky. And we want to have Brian on because he understands how to break down things simply. He's a great conversationalist and, you know, just a heck of a heck of a background and experience. Brian, thank you for taking some time with us today. Welcome to the show. And uh, let's have some fun today. Thanks for having me, Joe and Steve. I really appreciate it. We'll take a little bit of time today and try and figure out what the basics are and how do we get people into an estate plan that makes sense? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Now, Brian, you know, understanding as a, as a financial advisor and an investment advisor, you know, we obviously look at wealth transfer and helping our clients help their kids. And, you know, we got we get a lot of looks when we come to that phase. And that's normally where we're referring people over to you um, to help them with this process. It, it, it can be very complex, um, but it doesn't have to be on the basic side. And what we wanted to talk about today, Brian, is, you know, what are some of the basics? You know, what is estate planning in generality, what is it? Well, to start, you hit the nail on the head. Estate planning is essentially wealth transfer. You're into wealth growth and how do you keep your money? And I'm into wealth transfer. What do you do with your money when you die? How do you get it to the next people or entities that you want to have it? If you want to give it to your three kiddos and the Northern Illinois Golden Retriever Society, you can do that. Um, there is a subculture out there uh, of wealth transfer called elder law. And that's how do we keep it away from the nursing home and get it to the people or entities that we want it to go to. But essentially what we're talking about is what happens when you die and how do we get it to the right people? Uh, there's a couple of different opportunities for doing that. One is do a will and go through probate. The other is don't do a will and go through probate. And then the third one is do a trust and avoid probate. And it really depends on where you are in life, what's your financial situation today, and what's your financial situation gonna be when you die. And those aren't necessarily easy things to predict, although we can always predict that, um, in most cases at least, that your financial situation is gonna be different when you die than what it is today. 
that makes a lot of sense to me. I was just reading an article, Brian, I don't, I don't remember what the news outlet was, but it was on the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, um, and her estate and the problems mm -hmm. that she ran into. And you said a very scary word to a lot of people in probate. And I know Aretha Franklin, um, she had a long battle, I believe, with pancreatic cancer and ended up passing away. And she had kids and she had never uh, done a will or, or estate planning at all. And they ended up thinking that this was going to be a, a probated estate. And they ended up finding on a written piece of paper two uh, wills of Aretha Franklin. And there was a big to do between the, the family members of the brothers or surviving kids. Um, and it just created this awful mess when it could have been headed off at the pass, streamlined up front. And I think there was a lot of confusion that it created. But we hear the word probate probate, probate. And I know a lot of people hear that word and they go, oh my gosh, right? What is probate? What exactly is it? Well, probate is the legal process where a judge is going to take either your will or the probate code and the statutes and decide where your assets are going to go after you die. Obviously, if you have a will and it says, I want my three kiddos to get my assets, your assets are going to go to your three kiddos. Conversely, you might also say that I want everything to go to the golden retrievers. Well, if you say you want everything to go to the golden retrievers in your will, that's great. If you don't have a will and you want it to go to the golden retrievers, um, the judge doesn't have a will to pick up. So he's going to pick up the statute book and the statute book says everything's going to go to my three kids. And if you're on a second, uh, if you're still married, your spouse is going to get some of it and three kids are going to get some of it. If it's a second or subsequent spouse, those uh, portions are going to change. But probate is the process of having a judge take a look at your assets, filing an inventory. The judge isn't going to, sorry, the judge isn't going to file an inventory. The, your executor is going to file an inventory and your executor is then going to marshal all of your assets. Your ex executor is then going to publish in a newspaper looking for creditors. And if they find a creditor and it's a just creditor, they're going to have to pay that money. And probate is the process of then filing an accounting of everything that your executor has done in order to make sure that they've done everything appropriately. And if the other two kiddos in your family don't like what that executor did, then you may actually be proving that up in court. And in Indiana, that process takes, and in most states, frankly, that process takes anywhere from six to 12 months. So probate is something that has a lot of cost to it. Number one is it, it costs money. And around here, you can pretty much figure, I think three or 4% is a pretty fair amount in probate assets. But you also have to add in, what is the time element? How long is this going to take? It's going to take between six to 12 months, typically, depending on how complex the estate is. And then you have to look at the aggravation factor. Um, if your family is going to be fighting for the next six to 12 months after you die over your money or over how long probate is taking and all of these other things. Plus it's going to cost a bunch of money. Is that really, really worth it? So that's the probate process. Yeah. Understood why it's considered an ugly terminology because it's almost like a, a, a shoe in that things are not going to go the way that you wish they are going to go. And you know what, what these documents do in estate planning in general is that control it puts the control back in your court. So those assets flow the way you intend them to. I know I don't know about you, Steve, but I would not want the state of Indiana to determine where my assets are going. Um, I would like to head that off at the pass. And you know, understanding probate and what it is, I 
think can help people trigger to say, you know what, I do need to take care of this. And many of our listeners probably have, um, you know, they may have a will in place, they may have a trust in place, but a lot of the times we see maybe they got it done 10 or 15 years ago. Brian, do you see that a lot? Is there any point to review? Like once these documents are completed, is there any reason to review these? Absolutely. All wills, trusts, power of attorney, all of these documents that you're going to do as part of estate planning ought to be reviewed at least every 10 years. Um, certainly if you're 15, and I get people with 20 or 25-year-old wills, they're like, is this still good? Um, yeah, it is, but it might not take into account all the things that are going on in your life now. For one thing, it might only have two of your three kiddos in there and might not have any other language in there that says in any afterboard mm-hmm. born children. Um, these things need to be reviewed. The laws are not, and the situations are not as easy as they used to be, uh, or, and they're much more complex in general. So, um, if we're going to take a look at somebody's will, we're going to take a look at it with an eye on making this thing good for the next 20 or 30 years. We really want to look at that kind of long-term horizon and most wills and things that were done 10 or 15 years ago, just didn't have that review on them. And again, I mean, a will is just one part of the estate planning process. You either have a will and go into probate, or you don't have a will and you go into probate, presuming, of course, that you have enough assets to allow you to go into probate. You may just have a house in Indiana, which case there's an off-ramp for that. We can do it by an affidavit. You might have less than $100,000. There's an off-ramp for that. We can do it by affidavit. But in general, most people who are really listening intently to what we're talking about here today have a little bit more assets. Once we get down the road into these assets and we're looking at the cost and the time and the aggravation, that's when we start looking at doing a trust. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense, Brian. And it is. It's it's preparing in advance. And anytime that you prepare, you're increasing your odds of success in having these documents in place are going to help assure that the things are carried out, your wishes are carried out the exact way that you want them. Um, you talked a little bit about a will, Brian. What exactly does a will do? Well, a will, again, is basically gonna say who you want as executor. Who do you want to handle your affairs? And that's not set in stone. If you say your executor is going to be little Timmy and little Timmy's uh, in prison for something, he's not going to be your executor. So the court still has to appoint them. And then a will is going to say, look, I want you to pay my taxes. And then I want you to pay my just debts. And then whatever's left, I want you to give to A, B, C, D, and E. And that's the way that process works. And unfortunately, it's going to be overseen by the court and a judge. That's a great place to stop. And then let's come back after the break and and pick it up right there, because that's a great, great conversation. That sounds perfect. So we have to take a quick break, guys. But before we do and get back to this interesting conversation with Brian on estate planning, we are going to send out an offer. If you are interested in what you're hearing, you want to get your existing estate planning documents reviewed, or you just want to get some stuff together, get that starting point on how your assets are going to transfer in the future. This is your opportunity to call. Steve, give our listeners that magic number and we will get to work. 800-930-5905. It is that simple, folks. Make the call and get it it moving. It's an opportunity for you to really get a financial roadmap put together. And in this case, 
an estate plan, to get that insight, to putting together an estate plan, uh, no cost, no obligation, this is a great opportunity and, and one that doesn't come along all that often. 800-930-5905 is the number to call. 800-930-5905. Make that call today. When we come back, more estate planning talk with attorney Brian Less right after this. on Wealth Health Radio. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Joe Murphy is here as always. Uh, the Murphy Wealth Management is where you find him. MWMfinancial.tax is the website. You can learn a lot about Joe, uh, really his entire team of, of what they do and how they can help you. And also you can learn a little bit about uh, estate planning that we're talking about here. Brian Less is, is an attorney. Uh, you've been on the show once before, weren't you? I mean, almost Absolutely. maybe a year ago. Yep. Something like that. Well, yeah. So again, it's time to refresh. And and um, uh, you, uh, we left you uh, and about to expound on um, the will, right? Isn't that what we left? Actually, I think we were talking about power of oh, power attorney. of attorney. Yes. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. So we left and talking about power of attorney. Let's start there. Yeah. So, what is a power of attorney? The question comes up all the time. How does it work? Well, the power of attorney is a document, a legal document that states that. I am going to allow uh, little Timmy, my son, little Timmy, to go ahead and uh, be able to handle my financial affairs or my personal property or whatever the power of attorney is going to allow me to do uh, in my stead. And powers of attorney documents can be written in a million different ways. The way I like to write them is I like to make them effective immediately versus effective upon incompetence. The reason being is I've had people come into my office and one in particular uh, that I can tell you about is a really nice family came in and they said, hey, mom is uh, having some memory issues, but she happened to give the kids selling lemonade down the street $10,000 in cash, but I'm power of attorney. So I asked him to show me the document and I took a look at it and it said effective upon incompetence requiring two independent doctors to certify in writing that she cannot handle her own affairs. And I said, well, good luck with that because you're going you're gonna to have to go see two different neurologists and get each one of them to write such a letter, and then your power of attorney will be good. And if you know anything about healthcare right now, in order to get into a neurologist, it might take three or four months. And in order to get a neurologist to write a statement saying that they can't handle their own affairs, that's going to be even harder because if you have to take mom in the afternoon where, or, or in the morning, rather, that she's having a much better day, um, she's going to convince a neurologist she is capable of handling her own affairs. So now you've got a problem because mom's giving away the store and you can't go to a bank and stop it. So we make our uh, power of attorney documents effective immediately. You don't have to give these documents to the kids. You don't have to give the document to the person you name as your power of attorney. This is a big misconception. Yes, the document exists. And if it's, a, if it's in a real pretty binder in with all of your other important documents and you tell little Timmy that he is, in fact, the power of attorney, if anything really bad happens, um, that should be good enough because I guarantee little Timmy knows where you keep your important stuff. And he's going to go through it, you know, right hand, left hand until he finds uh, until he finds what he's looking for. And he's going to find that pretty binder and he's going to pull out the page that says power of attorney on it. He already knows he's the power of attorney. He's going to be able to take that out and use it and potentially save some money. I had an issue where I had clients that were stuck in Italy during the pandemic, 
they were sick, they could not get out, and they had a real estate closing. And they called me up all in a panic. And I said, what's the problem? Your oldest son is your power of attorney. Oh, it's effective immediately, right? Yes. So call them up, tell them to pull the document out, have them take it to the title company, and have them go ahead and do your real estate closing for you. Oh, problem solved. But a power of attorney basically gives somebody the right to handle your financial affairs for you. There is another kind of power of attorney that we do in Indiana called a, a, an advanced directive for healthcare decisions. They kind of missed the boat because the acronym is ADHD and it's kind of been used already. But an advanced directive for healthcare decisions is basically what we used to call a healthcare power of attorney. Healthcare power of attorney allows somebody to make medical decisions for you when you can't make them. Um, we also include HIPAA language so they can talk to the doctors and language so they can obtain your medical records and do all of those things. But that's essentially um, the antithesis of your financial power of attorney. It's a medical power of attorney. They can make medical decisions for you. That medical you one is, is really should be a priority, shouldn't it? I mean, that's the one that can really cause some problems. Yeah, it, it, well, I know it's they all really, can, really but... important. Well, there's three really three documents that everybody needs. I'm forgetting about a forgetting about a, a, a will and forgetting about trust and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a good power of attorney and you don't have a good medical power of attorney or the advanced directive for medical decisions, and the third document being what we know as a living will, also a, another poorly named document in Indiana, not last will and testament, but a living will. Living will deals with nutrition and hydration. When a doctor certifies that you have an incurable disease or illness, life-sustaining measures are futile, your death is imminent, do you want nutrition and hydration? Those three documents are incredibly, incredibly important. And that's part of your estate plan. You're not gone yet, okay? But somebody's gonna be able to take care of your estate, take care of your health, and make some of these medical important medical decisions for you. The estate plan itself deals with a will or not having a will, in other words, being intestate, uh, or having a trust. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the best breakdowns I've heard on that. That makes perfect sense to me. And you brought up a, a word, and I know a lot of people are interested in this because there's attorneys out there that do seminars on them and they're really promoted, but they are a very important vehicle. And that is the trust. Brian, can you break down a trust? What is it in its essence? Okay, well, first we'd go back to what's a will. And will is nothing more than instructions to a court and a judge, right? Well, a trust is an agreement. A trust is instructions to a trustee. How do I want my estate plan um, administered after I die? And uh, it can also be administered before you die. So when we do trusts, a typical trust, which I want to talk about today, is a typical revocable living trust. This is the one guys do the seminars for and you get the free steak dinner and all that stuff. And that's all great. And these people are all very, very capable. A revocable living trust is exactly what it says it is. It's revocable, amendable, rip-upable, whatever. If you don't like it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to exist for the rest of your life. It's a grantor trust, meaning you can put stuff in, you can take stuff out. It's all still yours. It's all still taxed back to your Social Security number. It will not change your life in the least. What it does it is that it avoids probate. That is the first and foremost, the the best thing that you can do to avoid probate is have a revocable living trust. So a revocable living trust starts with who's going to be my trustee? Well, it's an agreement between you, the grantor, and your trustee, right? Well, if you're the grantor, you can also be the trustee. 
So now you're having an agreement with yourself. Okay, I'm the trustee. Great. What do I do? Well, first thing we want to do is fund the trust. We want to put all of your assets into the trust. And by all of your assets, I mean your house, I mean your after-tax assets. Pre-tax assets, your 401k, IRA, uh, pensions, they really can't go into a trust. Why? Because the I in an IRA stands for individual. Trust is actually an entity, even though it simply uses your social security number while you're alive. So all of your after-tax assets go into the trust. Now the trust holds your assets. Um, how, is it, how easy is it to fund your trust? Very easy. Generally speaking, we do a deed and we deed your house into the trust. Generally speaking, you go to Joe and Joe, you say, Joe, you're handling all my after-tax assets in a brokerage account, changing the name on the brokerage account to the name of my trust. And that's it. Now your trust is funded. You do the same thing for your bank accounts. Now your trust is funded. Now you are the trustee. You are also the beneficiary. So it's all your money. But if we walk down the path of your life a little bit as to how a trust works, things tend to change a little bit in the, in, in the sake of who the players are. So I'm the trustee of my own trust. I'm the beneficiary of my own trust. When I get to 118 years old, I might think, well, this is a little too hard now. So I'm going to have my son, little Timmy. He's going to be my trustee now. He's going to be my successor trustee. But I'm still alive, so I'm still the beneficiary. So little Timmy becomes basically in a fiduciary position. He's got to do things for your benefit, not his own. So uh, little Tommy, or, or my benefit in that case. So little Timmy becomes a trustee. I'm still the beneficiary, and now I die. Little Timmy's the trustee, and now all three of my kids, little Timmy, little Susie, little Johnny, they're all the beneficiaries. And what does little Timmy do? Little Timmy pays out whatever the assets are into the trust, uh, from the trust to the other beneficiaries and himself. And that's it. The trust becomes defunded because you've taken everything out of it, the opposite of when you funded it. And the trust is done. It's over. And everybody has their money. There's no probate. There's no court. There's no judge. There's no inventory. There's no uh, publication looking for creditors. There's no file and accounting. And generally speaking, there's no attorneys and no attorney fees. And so when you look at it from that perspective where you, you're, you're missing the money that you have to pay in probate, you're missing the time for probate. In other words, you can pay out this trust, you know, the day after that there's a death of the, of the grantor, right? Uh, and you're missing all of the aggravation. A trust is worth its weight in gold. And really, when we get to a point where we have a good bogey is probably if you have $300,000 or more in assets, be they your house and your after-tax cash, your after-tax investments, you need to start looking at a trust because that's pretty much a break even in terms of money as to what probate is going to cost you. Interesting that you said that, Brian, because I was just going to ask you, how do you know when you need a trust? So 300000 300, in assets is usually a good benchmark that, yes, I should be calling an estate planning attorney to really take a look at my situation and see how to protect my assets in the most efficient way. Let's let Brian answer that question when we come back. Okay, that sounds good.
So guys, we are at that time. We are at a break. And hopefully you guys have been in, as interested in this conversation as myself and Steve. Next 10 callers, guys, we are going to give you that complimentary review. Uh, we are going to do an investment analysis, tax analysis, and if you're interested in trust, wills, POAs, or any advanced healthcare directives, any documents to help make sure those assets transfer efficiently, this is your opportunity to talk. Give us a call. Steve, provide that magic number and we will get to work. Sounds like a plan. 800-930-5905. There's no cost. There's no obligation. This is a chance to really get on top of your estate planning and all of the documents that you need. That's what this is all about today. This is a special offer. Only one time. 800-930-5905 is the number. 800-930-5905. Don't let this pass by. Call today while you're thinking of it. When we come back, more with attorney Brian Less right after this. And we are back on Wealth Health Radio. I am consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Joe Murphy's here and special guest uh, Brian Less, attorney. And Brian has been going through really the, the nuts and bolts, uh, the, the, just the basics, if you will, of what an estate plan is, what it consists of. Uh, we were talking about trusts. We talk about probate. I mean, all of that. Let's jump back in and, and, and take advantage of uh, really the time that we have left with Brian. Yeah, absolutely. And what we were talking about before the break was how do I know when I need to trust? Is there a certain asset level? And Brian, please get back into that explanation because I was I was listening intently. So I what I said in terms of a bogey was about three hundred thousand dollars, but that can change. And uh, different attorneys look at different levels of assets. And again, if all you have is a three hundred thousand dollar house, we're not looking at a trust. Okay. Uh, if all you have is is three hundred thousand dollars in after tax money, it really does depend on how that money is held, and if it's held in multiple lo multiple locations, multiple banks, that's something we might want to consider a trust for. If you have more than one house, and that second house is in a different jurisdiction, if it's in a different state, you're definitely looking at a trust. That's a big flag for me, green flag, if you want to put it that way, that, hey, you really need to have a trust because if you're going to probate uh, a will and you have a piece of property in the state of Indiana, but you also have that condo in Las Vegas or in Arizona, guess what? You're going to be doing ancillary probation, <laughs> ancillary probate in uh, Arizona or in, uh, in Las Vegas. So, at this point, you're going to want to put those assets into one document and have them dealt with in one fell swoop by your trustee who's going to then transfer those properties out when you die. But when we look at a certain amount of, of money, when I, when I say that $300,000, and again, different attorneys have different opinions, it's not just what you have today that I'm looking at. I'm looking at your age. I'm looking at your what your, what your income is. I'm looking at what your assets are. I'm looking at and I've only been, you know, considering in that bogey that $300,000 being after tax. But what is your pre-tax money? What are your IRA pension and 401k money? You might have $200,000 in after-tax money, but you might have $2 million in pre-tax money. And I see that fairly often. And you know what? And it might be somebody who's 65 years old. And they really aren't taking out their pre-tax money yet. And you know what? Once they hit 73 
or 74 as this uh, secure, the secure act starts uh, moving things up, um, you're going to have to start taking your required minimum distributions. And by the time you hit 80, you're probably not spending that money, even though you have to take it. And so that's going to become after-tax money. So we're really looking at what is going to happen going forward. Are we looking at maybe you, you wouldn't necessarily get into a trust right now, but in 10 years, in 10 years, you're definitely going to want to trust. And so we might as well do it now and avoid having to double dip and double pay. Um, and then you're all set up and whatever happens going forward happens. But at least your estate plan is taken care of. When I do these types of estate plans, we do everything. We do the trust. We do all the ancillary uh, documents that are required. We do the deeds. I can't fund your trust for you. I can't go to the bank for you, but I'll definitely show you how to do it and uh, give you all the documentations to be able to talk intelligently or show the document intelligently to whoever needs to see it. And I'm always there to answer the questions if anybody uh, should need help doing that, especially with things I see like somebody who has a bunch of individual stocks, that those things need to go and be changed into the name of the trust. Well, if you're getting a computer share report every quarter, you know, we, we fill those out for you. That's something that I've done probably a thousand times in my career. Um, it's not as complicated as you might think. But, you know, in general, you want to make sure that you have enough assets uh, when you die that you have uh, you have the need for a trust. And since we don't know what assets we're going to have when we die, we kind of have to extrapolate a little bit and try and figure out what the best avenue is. There are always ways that you can do an estate plan with a will versus a trust. There is no um, there is no number that says you have to do a trust. There is no number that says you have to do a will. Um, you really can do either or, but just remember that there are costs associated with either or. There are upfront costs to a will. They are less than upfront costs for a trust. But when you're looking at a will and you're looking at potentially probating that will, you really need to look at a bogey of about three or 4% in attorney fees and costs to probate that will. Whereas if you're looking at a trust, the trust is going to cost more upfront, but it's going to cost essentially nothing on the back end. I have clients on occasion that I, they just don't, nobody calls me. Nobody from the family calls me after somebody passes away because they step into the successor trustee role and they transfer all the assets out. They pay things out pursuant to the plan that was created within the trust. And that's it. They really don't need an attorney to administer it. And the whole goal of having a trust is no court intervention. Why do we want a judge telling us what to do? Why do we want a judge overseeing everything that we need to do if we know what we need to do? We know we need to transfer things out to the three kiddos and the golden retrievers, right? And, and it makes sense to plan ahead and putting the work in now, Brian, I think is the, the, the big catalyst to get it done now. So the back end isn't filled with, you know, contention and anguish and, you know, people fighting over what or worst case scenario, having a perfect stranger determine where your assets are going. To me, that makes zero sense. I, I would never, ever, ever want that for my family. But it does take a little effort up front. Brian, 
where else is a trust going to come into play um, outside of, of what we discuss? Is there specialized trusts or anything that we can cover to give our radio listeners an understanding that trusts aren't just one dimensional? They can maybe have some specialized. Is there any other types of trust that you do? There are many, many, many different types of trusts. And the more money you have, the more opportunities there are. That's just the way of the world, unfortunately. But one of the things that we do pretty consistently in our office is something called the Medicaid Asset Protection Trust, or MAPT, M-A-P-T. You can look this up. I used to have some material in my office. I finally just gave up and said, just look it up on the internet, Medicaid Asset Protection Trust. If you're over 70 years old and you have a you know reasonable amount of assets and you've got that three or four or $500,000 house and your concern is if you have to go into a nursing home, you know that there's this thing called spend down for Medicaid, and they're going to want you to sell the house and pay currently around here, it's ten dollars to $12,000 a month for uh, long-term care, in other words, nursing care. Um, and you're going to have to spend all that money down until you have less than $2,000 to your name before you get on Medicaid. A Medicaid Asset Protection Trust will take that house, will move the house into the trust, the trust... Um, it's a fairly complicated trust. I don't want to get into the weeds on it, but as long as that house is sitting in that trust for five years, it's going to be uh, non-countable for Medicaid eligibility. And in fact, from a state recovery, after you die, the state, by the way, can come in and, and take whatever other money you might have. But something that's been in a Medicaid Asset Protection Trust for at least five years is untouchable on the uh, Medicaid estate recovery side as well. So there are lots of other types of trusts out there. I don't do too many Medicaid asset protection trusts for couples, although they can be done for couples, for married couples. But if you're a single person, uh, I would call it the Aunt Janet scenario. Aunt Janet's got a $350,000 house and $350,000 in the bank. Um, and she's starting to get a little, a little kooky. You're starting to need a little more help or whatever. Um, maybe it's time to look at a five-year horizon in terms of pre-need planning and take a look at a Medicaid Asset Protection Trust. Not many. I, I haven't seen that advertised anywhere. I don't even know if, do all attorneys offer that or is that a specialist no, trust? No, I'm an elder law attorney as well. Plus, I spent about 18 of the last 25 years as a contract attorney for the state of Indiana Medicaid. Um, and so I know what I'm talking about because basically one of the things that I was charged with doing was going through Medicaid asset protection trusts or what people would or attorneys would call asset protection trusts and going through them. And unfortunately, I would say 50 or 60 percent of them didn't work as intended. And that was one of my jobs. So when I do them, they work because we get rid of all the pitfalls that might have uh, might have uh, created a problem. Well, maybe I've watched too many Law & Order shows, but uh, I, I know the one saying is that the best defense attorneys were former prosecutors. So we got Brian over here that used to work for Medicaid, and now he's protecting um, our clients and, and our listeners from that Medicaid collection. So that's really interesting because you don't hear about the Medicaid Asset Protection Trust a lot. And I know it, it's on a lot of people's mind. Look, no one wants to, to talk about long-term care or nursing homes or anything until they're in that situation. 
um, but a little bit of planning, whether it's protecting your assets and making sure that things flow the way that you want to flow. I think Brian did a really good job breaking down simply some of those documents that can be included. Yeah, it's just getting your ducks in a row and, and planning now pays dividends and, and understanding the process. And, and thank you, Brian, for sharing that, um, because I think there there is, you know, there's fear out there of unknown and and going into something, whether you understand the benefit or not, can be a little bit scary for some people. And that's why we wanted to offer this opportunity and have Brian on the show because estate planning is critical. Um, Brian talked a little bit about, you know, what happens when you don't have these documents in place and, and, you know, letting your kid's future up to, you know, a judge that you don't know. That makes zero sense. And this is an opportunity to either get what you have reviewed to make sure there's no holes in it and it goes according to plan or get your new documents set up for the future. Um, you know, Brian was gracious enough to come on the show, spend some time with us. Brian, any last words for our radio listeners? What, no matter what you do, get your estate plan done. Yeah. Because nobody gets out of here alive. Okay. We are, we are all leaving eventually, right? So if you have assets, you need to make sure they go as easily as possible to the people or entities you want them to go to. And the only way to do that is by completing a comprehensive estate plan. Don't be a Bob Marley, a Pablo Picasso, Jimi Hendrix, or the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. As great as entertainers as they were, they did not take that step to protect that future for their kids and that legacy. So there was a mess, and this is an opportunity for you guys to take that first step. So if you are one of the next 10 callers and we have piqued your interest and you want to learn more, this is your opportunity to call the show and get connected with Brian. Steve, please give our listeners that magic number, and I know that the phone's going to be lighting up, so we will get to work once we get those calls coming in. Sounds great, Joe. 800-930-5905. So again, if you've got questions about estate planning, how it might apply in your own situation, this is your opportunity, folks. Last time today, 800-930-5905, 800-930-5905. And again, this is just one of my favorite hours of the week. And, and again, with the special guests especially, is a very, very meaningful and purposeful show. Steve, I have two pages of notes myself, so we're all good to go. Brian, again, thanks, buddy, for taking the time with us this week. I can't wait to have you on again already. So everyone out there, have a great week, and uh, we are here ready to... Content of this radio show is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any type of securities. Joe Murphy, MWM Advisory Group, and Murphy Wealth Management are not responsible for the consequences of any decisions or actions taken as a result of the information provided in this radio show and do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information provided. The information discussed today reflects the views of Joe Murphy and his guests as the date of this show and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Any forward-looking statements or forecasts are based on the assumptions and actual results may vary from such statements or forecasts. No reliance should be placed on any statements or forecasts when making any investment decision. Accordingly, listeners should not rely solely on the information provided today in making any investment decision. There is a risk of loss from investing in securities, including the risk of loss of principal. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will be profitable or suitable for a particular investor's financial situation or risk tolerance. Asset allocation and portfolio diversification cannot assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses.